All right. So, so welcome back to the first ever episode of Everybody Loves Communism, working title. I'm Jamie Peck, of course. And I'm Aaron Thorpe. And we are here to continue discussing the Communist Manifesto. So Sean had to go. Uh, he's in part one. He had some good things to say, and now he has mm-hmm. left it to us to finish it out. Yes. So yes, yes. chapter two, I got to say, it's a banger. It is a banger. I mean, he drops like you just it's just heat. It's bars. I mean, it is just he is uh, relentless with his uh, just his uh like all the criticisms that are kind of levied at the Communist Party, he just dispenses with all of them in a true uh, Marxian fashion. No, Marx is, is like going in on these. He is like in true debate lord mode here, which is interesting, yeah. right? Because if you asked him about it, like he says in other parts, like basically all these liberal values of like free exchange of ideas or whatever. This is bourgeois. Uh, this is mm. this is a bourgeois thing. Like what we really need to get communism is we need to organize and we also need to see the uh just the the historical material forces at work but but he's still gonna be a debate lord about it for whatever value that may have which i appreciate because he is on fire yeah and it's funny it's actually like you know and again like i mentioned it earlier the writing of the capital is a little dry and it's very repetitive as well which is you know the intention i think of uh sort of the explaining and deconstructing uh capitalism but here it's just it's just funny it's floral language it's uh you can hear the rage and the passion you know behind the words you know yeah yeah could imagine him like shaking his fist in your face and yelling as he's you know telling you this absolutely absolutely um shit was i gonna say oh my god my add Mm. just kicked in oh no (laughs) see you too Uh, you even if you have a fucked up brain you can understand marx and marxism that's what i'm saying to you folks out there in radio land right now (laughs) but anyway so so let's get into it yeah so he talks oh oh i was gonna say also he throws he's got a real flair Mm. for the gothic like we did an episode a while back with the lit crit guy which i highly recommend Mm. he has a podcast as well um, fuck, I forget what his podcast is called. I'm so bad. Um, but you just Google the lit crit guy. You'll find it. Um, yeah. he, we, we talked about, he talked about how Marx was writing around the time that the Gothic novel was really huge. So he mm. throws in some evocative imagery taken from the Gothic novel, whether it's describing capital as a, a vampire or dead mm-hmm. labor that sucks like a vampire on living labor and lives the more it sucks. Mm. Um, there's so many, so many good lines like that, but yeah, he, he definitely has some Gothic flair, which I really appreciate as a goth yeah. communist myself. Yeah. 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 He's looking out for the, uh, the, the goth caucus of, uh, of the communists. That's right. He's looking out for That's the right. The, like the most specific I will ever get about my tendency beyond communist is I am an arachno communist. Or perhaps I am in the DSA Goth Caucus. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I would go ahead. No, keep keep going. No, 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 like uh, I feel that because I mean, not necessarily goth for me, but definitely apocalyptic, uh, dark energies, Mm. but also rebirth. Yeah, exactly. You got to go through (laughs) some shit to get to the good stuff. So, all right, chapter two. There's a lot here. So, yeah. oh my God, um, he starts. There's a lot. No, I wanted. I wanted to say for like, there's a lot here, but he really talks about like if you break it down into the communists, what their relationship is to the proletariat, and uh, you know, kind of like he's uh, pushing back against these criticisms, and it's also a rejection of uh, bourgeoisie institutions and uh, definitions of freedom. So, just keep those three things in mind. That's pretty much what this whole second chapter yeah. is. About. Yeah, he also importantly. Even kind of defines what it means to be a communist, right? Because that yes. is a yes, ten point that plan. That is an right? extremely basic well, question yeah, that uh, yeah. not everybody can answer. Even yeah, people, even yeah. self-described communists. Even I, the other night, someone kind of blindsided me with it. I'm like, oh my god, that's actually a really good question. Let me let yeah. me consult the, the books. Get back to you. Yeah, 
Because it's easy to say, like, you know, I believe in no money, no class, no state. But it's like, okay, so how do you get to those? Like, what do you do now in praxis to get to that point? Yeah, because there are techno-utopians, you know, like Elon Musk or whoever, who think that we can just transcend to some kind of utopian society via... Who's called himself a socialist, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, via the progress of technology and the benevolent management of uh, technocrats, which actually Marx goes over this in the next chapter, which is pretty cool. And we all know that, I mean, as communists, we're like, that's fucking bullshit. So anyway, chapter two, he starts out by talking about the relationship of the Communist Party to the proletariat. And he says, quote... They have no interests separate and apart from those of the proletariat as a whole. They do not set up any sectarian principles of their own by which to shape and mold the proletarian movement, which (laughs) if you've been, if you are on the modern day left, you know that they're not uh, really behaving that way. If you're on Twitter at all. sectarian (laughs) as fuck. And you know what? Marx is a little sectarian too sometimes, but like, I like it. He does this neat debate bro trick when he's arguing with Bakunin or whoever, where he's like, everything I say is uh, scientific and everything you say is utopian idealism. And so by definition, like I'm right and you're wrong, which you know what? Maybe he's right. I don't know. So, well, we were talking about defining oneself as a communist before, and uh, you were actually, yeah, Sean, a kind of similar question. Um, it's like, this isn't like, I didn't come up with this shit. Marx didn't come up with it. It's not a matter of, in my opinion, well, in my, I don't want to use the word opinion twice, but the way I see it is that it's not a matter of my opinion. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a science. Right. It is. It is a law. I mean, that's what Marx was trying to recreate, like, you know, a natural law, a law for like political economy and human relations, you know. So um, I think if anything, it's like, yeah, man, like I think the things that you and I believe in, this is why, you know, you guys always say that here at the Antifada, the communists are the real adults in the room. Um, We're not the idealists. We're not the utopian, you know, fantastical, like, you know, uh, you know, pine sky like we are. We are the realists. I mean, I certainly believe that. And Marx certainly believed it. And he says it many times, many times in this text. So, yeah, he says the communists are distinguished from the other working class parties by this only. He says, one, in the national struggles of the proletarians of the different countries, they point out and bring to the front the common interests of the entire proletariat and independently of all nationality. Right. So this kind of calls forward to when the uh, socialist parties of various countries, they vote for the war credits in World War One. And guess what? Mm -hmm. The international, Mm -hmm. it falls apart. That is not good. That's Rosa Luxemburg read about this. Shouldn't be doing that. You should be thinking about the entire proletariat. Yeah, you shouldn't you shouldn't be you shouldn't be uh, basically uh, proxies for imperialist war against like nation states. Right? Like the workers shouldn't be utilized for those Mm-mm-mm. purposes. The, the Bolsheviks knew that. That's yeah. right. Number two, yeah. in the various stages of development, which the struggle of the working class against the bourgeoisie has to pass through, they always and everywhere represent the interests of the movement as a whole. So what are communists? They represent the interests of proletarians everywhere. And when they're doing shit, they represent the interests of the communist movement as a whole. That's very, very basic. What else does he say? He says the theoretical conclusions of the communists are in no way based on ideas or principles that have been invented or discovered by this or that would be universal reformer. They merely express... In general terms, actual relations springing from an existing class struggle, from a historical movement going on under our very eyes. The abolition of existing property relations is not at all a distinctive feature of communism, because he goes through before we had property relate the bourgeoisie. The bourgeoisie was a revolutionary class, right? They changed, mm-hmm. they abolished the old property relations and they brought about new ones. He says All property relations in the past have continually been subject to historical change consequent upon the change in historical conditions. The difference here is that communists want to abolish the bourgeois property relations known as private property. Exactly. And he says, um, yeah, exactly. He says to that uh, to that degree, he says, in this sense, the theory of the communists may be summed up in the single sentence abolition of private property and this is the thing that makes the bourgeoisie lose their fucking minds mm-hmm. right um because this this concept of private property versus public property you know that's freedom uh, conservatives 
It's freedom. And conservatives, you know, liberals too nowadays will say, uh, well, you know, I don't want to share my toothbrush, mm -hmm. right? Or I don't want to pay for something for somebody else, you know? Um, and Marx does a great job of just like kind of like slapping all of those criticisms aside, you know, just like, you know, bullet time and dodging all of these criticisms. Oh, he's so right? good. Um, he's so good. So good. So, uh, like, well, where do we, where says, do we begin? Yeah. I mean, like, like right after he says that the abolition of private property, I think this is a, this is a good opener. We communists have been reproached with the desire of abolishing the right of personally acquiring property as the fruit of man of a man's own labor, which property is alleged to be the groundwork of all personal freedom, activity, and independence. And uh, we get an exclamation point here. He says, hard-won, self-acquired, self-earned property. Do you mean the property of the petty artisan and of the small peasant, a form of property that preceded the bourgeois form? There is no need to abolish that. The development of industry has to a great extent already destroyed it and is still destroying it daily. Or do you mean modern bourgeois private property? Uh, and I like that he does that. Good. Sorry, Jim. Go ahead. No. Uh, yeah, that is. <laughs> I mean, this is a cornerstone of liberalism, right? The idea yeah. that private property is a thing that capitalists, the people in charge, they deserve it. They fucking mm -hmm. earned it. And real freedom means that they get to keep it. Of course, they would say that because they're fucking capitalists, right? But then he tears exactly. it down. I feel like that's where you're going with this. Exactly. And I want to mention, too, for people that, like, you know, like, your, your phone, your toothbrush is, like, personal property. You know what I mean? Like, private property is anything that you can use to, like, you know, accumulate capital and normally through the exploitation of wage laborers. That's you know? right. Like... Yeah, like that's that's the problem, man, is that we we don't want a society in which, you know, uh, just a handful of people can, you know, determine the lives of like the masses, you know, through the control of like private property and accumulation of capital. Like that's not what we want. That's right. You know, and um, so let's use maybe an example, perhaps if you have yeah. a bread machine and you're using it to make bread for your family to eat, that's personal property. If, on the other hand, you have a bread machine and you hire people to make bread that you sell at a profit, um, only paying them a tiny proportion of that profit and pocketing the rest for yourself while you sit on your ass. That's private property. That's what we're against as communists. Exactly. Which is why landlordism sucks. And I'm sure we'll get into that with the text later on. But that's why uh, you were sitting on your ass, not doing anything but collecting money. That's the yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that's so vampire. He goes through this quite a bit here. Um, <laughs> what do we got here? And like these are all concepts that are fleshed out in um, Capital. But let's yeah. let's read more. It's so good. He says, "But does wage labor create any property for the laborer? Not a bit." It creates capital, i.e. that kind of property which exploits wage labor and which cannot increase except upon condition of begetting a new supply of wage labor for fresh exploitation. Property in its present form is based on the antagonism of capital and wage labor. Let us examine both sides of this antagonism. So we're, we're going into it now. To be a capitalist is to have not only a purely personal, like what we were just talking about, where you have sh you own shit, for yourself, but a social status in production. Capital is a collective product and only by the united action of many members, nay, in the last resort, only by the united action of all members of society can it be set in motion. Capital is therefore not only personal, it is a social power. So what is he saying here? He's saying that capital exists because the workers are all working and creating the wealth of society. Therefore, hey, guess what? Maybe the ship belongs to the people who created it. Exactly, exactly. And, and one thing, too, I think people need to, like, understand is that, like, as much as, like, capitalism extols virtues of individualism and personal responsibility and um, atomization and all this shit, like, it is, it is inherently collective. It has to be collective, right? Like, you look at companies like Walmart, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, uh, the idea of a planned economy, like Walmart is like a mini planned economy. Like it literally, it's a planned economic, like, you know, like loop, you know, this is the only reason why Amazon is able to do what it does, mm -hmm. you know? So I like that, that idea that capital is not personal, but it's a social power 
um, and I keep using this word, you know, uh, hopeful or promising. I think like understanding that, that it's the collective labor of all of us that creates this shit. Like labor creates all wealth, mm -hmm. right? Like we are like the key. Like we are the seeds of destruction, mm -hmm. like for this uh, capitalist That's society. That's right. I also yeah. like how he sets it up, right? Because, I mean, he goes into this more in Capital, but, and, and in lots of other different texts. But like he's saying we already could lay like, claim to all of the shit in the world. It's just, like, you know what, I'll read this quote. He says, therefore, uh, when, therefore, capital is converted into common property, into the property of all members of society, personal property is not thereby transformed into social property. It's only the social character of the property that is changed. It loses its class character. So basically, we already own all this shit. We fucking made it. Uh, the yeah. only thing we're going to change around is whether it can be stolen from us and hoarded by a few people who just, you know, happen to have the startup capital to begin with to exploit other people. He's like, no, we already own this shit. We're just changing the class character of it. We're making it so that it belongs to everyone because it does. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's this, this is a couple paragraphs below, like, um, I, I highlighted this because it sounds kind of like, um, I don't know, it sounds beautiful, like the di the, di the diametric kind of dialectical nature of the sentence. He says, um, in bourgeois society, therefore, the past dominates the present. In communist society, the present dominates the past. In bourgeois society, capital is independent and has individuality, while the living person is dependent and has no individuality. And um, again, you know, in this, this chapter, he uses words like individuality and freedom, which are mystified by the bourgeoisie. But the communists want to reclaim that for its true nature, which means that the only reason that you as an individual can be fulfilled is through a collective fulfillment of everyone, right? At least the very basic, you know, making sure that people have like, you know, basic needs, you know, like housing, education, you know, food, a job, source of income, right? That'll allow you to be free as an individual, right? That's the idea. That's right. So I think he goes into a little bit why this is. Um, oh, God, where am I? Huh. I'm jumping around at my notes. Uh, yeah, so where are we here? Um, I mean, the basic formula of capitalism is that, I mean, I've, I've talked about this before. I don't know if I've talked about it in, on this podcast exactly, but like basically the, the relationship that he describes, the process he describes is um, if the workday is split up into two parts, right? You got A to B and B to C. From A to B is the thing called socially necessary labor time. So that is the amount of time that it takes the worker to put back the amount of value into the world, what they consume in the course of staying alive from day to day. And that is something that we cannot do away with uh, under communism, right? Because it does take a certain amount of effort to keep everybody alive. Um, course, yeah. And then from B to C, oh, wait, uh, in a rational society, you could just go home when you're done doing that. But no, 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 because there's a guy named your boss... <laughs> There's a guy called your yeah, who <laughs> Bossy <laughs> McBossertons, this fucking monocle. Bossy McBossertons. With, with his fucking monocle. He was like, no, no, no. And his handlebar mustache. Uh -huh. the, from B to C. His handlebar mustache. He's twirling his mustache, right? And he's yeah. like, no, yeah. no, no, no. You're not done yet. Now you're just, you're working for me from B to C. And that's the time when you're generating surplus value for exactly. the capitalist. And that time, that's like, you know what? We can eliminate that waste, right? There's no reason why <laughs> fucking capitalists should get to sit on their ass while you do all the work. So he says, quote, the average price of wage labor is the minimum wage. Oh, and also, of course, the capitalist is incentivized because he's competing with other capitalists to see who can make the most profit to make that distance from A to B as short as possible. Right. Mm. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. We'll get into that probably when we discuss capital a little bit. But um I think that's like a good basic foundation to have for now. So he says, quote, the average price of wage labor is the minimum wage, i.e. that quantum of the means of subsistence, which right, all the stuff you need in order to stay alive, mm -hmm. which is absolutely requisite to keep the labor in bare existence as a laborer. 
What, therefore, the wage laborer appropriates by means of his labor merely suffices to prolong and reproduce a bare existence. We by no means intend to abolish this personal appropriation of the products of labor, an appropriation that is made for the maintenance and reproduction of human life, and that leaves no surplus wherewith to command the labor of others. All that we want to do away with is the miserable character of this appropriation, under which the laborer lives merely to increase capital and is allowed to live only insofar as the interest of the ruling class requires it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, that reminds me of this idea of reification, you know, where it's um, it's uh, subject uh, becoming object, you know. And um, that's essentially like, you know, what, what happens here is that you as an individual, you're not like a... You know, you're not like an uh, independent, autonomous individual. Like you literally are like an instrument. You're a tool, mm -hmm. you know, for the capitalist to accumulate more capital. And then even when you get off of work, right, even the four hours that you've done and then the part B, as you said, where your surplus value is stolen from you, you get off of work. And what do you have to do? You have to pay your landlord. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to like you have to the money that you earn, the wage that you earn. You have to dole it out to all of the other people in your life who control Right, that basic sustenance. Mm -hmm. So, what are you left with at the end of the day? Not, not, no individuality. Certainly, no individuality or freedom, as Marx no, said. No, everybody is an object in the system. Even the capitalists, to some degree, but yeah, you know, they get to live better lives than the workers. Yeah, we shouldn't have much pity for them. Yeah, no. Yeah. So he says, <laughs> "You are horrified at our intending to do away with private property." Right. This is a cornerstone of liberalism: the right to property. Blah blah blah. But in our existing society, private property is already done away with for nine-tenths of mm -mm. the population. Its existence for the few is solely due to its non-existence in the hands of those nine-tenths. You reproach us, therefore, with intending to do away with a form of property, the necessary condition for whose existence is the non-existence of any property for the immense majority of society. So right there, he's kind of using, he's like, mm, by your logic, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. If private property is the ultimate right and the thing that makes you a human being and a citizen, uh, why do we have a system where a teeny tiny percentage of humanity owns private property and th that it depends on the rest of the population owning nothing mm. and having to work for them right but then the next sentence after that too man this is where again like the spice and the fire that he has you know it's like in one word you reproach us with intending to do away with your property precisely so that is just what we intend <laughs> he's just telling these people straight up like yes we are your worst nightmare and you should be afraid of us that's right because we're gonna take your shit and dispose of that's you, right that's right. I That's mean, right. He, he's basically like a consultant. Like, you know, where can we trim the fat? Where's the waste? Where's the waste in society? Yeah. Oh, I see. It's profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and two, he does this thing, right, where you were saying, Jamie, where he, he proves to you that the concerns that you have are already real for a majority of the population. And he does that here when he talks about um, them being terrified of doing away with private property. But then but that, that part that I read where he also talks about... Um, the 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 hard won self acquired self earned property you know the petty artisan of the small peasant he also says again he's like yo that's already gone too mm -hmm. right so I really like the way that he kind of kind of does away with these fears by saying like well this already happens but it happens it doesn't happen for the majority of the population yeah know? and he's saying too like he's using the the values of liberalism against it right because if yes. they it, like yes. if you really believe that everyone has rights as an individual um why are you upholding a system where the vast majority of people are really only function as objects right individuality it vanishes this is this is an ideology of the ruling class that serves only to uphold these exploitative relations. He says, yep. yeah, um, I don't think I need to read any more quotes on that. Uh, moving right along, communism de deprives no man of the power to appropriate the products of society, right? Everyone's still going to make stuff. Everyone's still going to have stuff. All that it does is to deprive him of the power to subjugate the labor of others by means of such appropriations. You know, it's like the classic, I don't know who came up with this first, but I really like it. Classic reversal. Uh, the problem with cap capitalism seems like a good idea until you run out of other people's surplus value. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Was it Margaret, that Margaret Thatcher that said the, the socialism is problem when, uh, uh, is a problem when you run out of other people's money, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reversal of that. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, hey, guess what? It's not uh, the capitalist money. In fact, it's our money. We're just taking it back. Yeah. Your work yeah, yeah. made that money. Yeah. 
Um, there's this uh, there's this part too where again for people that are you know just coming into like you know these ideas like um, I think the 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 claim that uh, liberals conservatives conservatives will make is that well if you just like give people money if you just like you know or give if you if you give people like a hand right a leg up not even that they 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 say it as if it's it's paternalism right but really like again as we said we deserve this this is the fruits of our labor right but there's always the excuses like well people will be lazy mm -hmm. right and mark says it has been objected that upon the abolition of private property all work will cease and universal laziness will overtake us and again he drops these fucking bars he says quote according to this bourgeois society ought long ago to have gone to the dogs through sheer idleness for those of its members who work acquire nothing, and those who acquire anything do not work. The whole of this objection is but another expression of the tautology, that there can no longer be any wage labor when there is no longer any capital. So he's already telling you that, like, man, these motherfuckers are already sitting on their asses. You, in fact, are sitting on your asses not doing anything. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? If you're talking about indolence and laziness that you're worried about, like, be primarily concerned with the laziness and the passiveness of the capitalist yeah. class. Yeah, right? it's almost like they don't really give a shit about their own professed <laughs> values and ideals, right? Yeah, exactly. Let's exactly. see. He said... Uh, 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 uh. All objections urged against the communist mode of producing and appropriating material products have in the same way been urged against the communistic mode of producing and appropriating intellectual products. Ooh, he's talking about culture. Yeah. Just as to the bourgeois, the disappearance of class property is the disappearance of production itself, so the disappearance of class culture is to him identical with the disappearance of all culture. That culture, the loss of which he laments, is, for the enormous majority, a mere training to act as a machine. Uh, once again, just bars. <laughs> just bars. Just bars. Yeah. Where, where, what else we got here? I'm going to try to move us along, because everything is so good. I just like want to read the whole thing, but I can't. Um, uh, well, well, they'll uh, read the whole uh, thing, hopefully, oh, after listening. Yeah, yeah, and it's not that long, so you definitely should. Um, no. Oh, he talks about how we need to abolish the family. The Hell family, yeah. yes. And oh, oh, wait, what do I have written in my notes? Read this part out loud. All right, fine. <laughs> it is <laughs> looking out for your future self. It is. It is pretty good. Right after I said, I'm. I just, we just can't can't just read the whole thing. He says abolition, Alf Hebung of the family, and of course, Alf Hebung doesn't just mean to get rid of something. It means to overcome it in the Hegelian mm. sense. Um, so mm. the new thing will contain the remnants of the old thing within it. He mm. says, even the most radical flare up at this infamous proposal of the communists, which is still true today, by the way. Yes. Judging from the insane reactions of normie socialists to family abolition discourse. But then he goes on and he says, on what foundation is the present family, the bourgeois family, based on capital, on private gain? In its completely developed form, this family exists only among the bourgeoisie. But this state of things finds its complement in the practical absence of the family among the proletarians and in public prostitution. And this is a time when child labor was running rampant and yes. um, people, all, all these uh, these bourgeois philosophers and reformers were like, tut, tut, like, oh, wow, these uh, these proletarians are sending their children to work in the factories. These women, these proletarian women are like giving their kids uh, whiskey to, you know, just like make them go to sleep while they have to do their work. It's, it's because they're bad on the inside. No, it's capitalism's doing that. They don't want to fucking do that. Exactly. You don't give a fuck about the family. You don't give a fuck about parents and children. Um, he says... The bourgeois family will vanish as a matter of course when its complement vanishes. I guess he's talking about <coughs> the proletarian family. <coughs> and both will vanish with the vanishing of capital. Do you charge us with wanting to stop the exploitation of children by their parents? To this crime, we plead guilty. Another another mic drop, yo. <laughs> Jamie, let me let me ask you a question, though. Like, uh, as a quick aside, why do you think... I mean, he says it here clearly, but... What do you think that, like, um, you know, like, uh, I guess, what is it, like, sock dams or maybe dam socks or people who are not as, not that it's a, you know, a contest here, but not as far left, I guess, as we are, not as kind of advanced in what they kind of believe in, which I don't even really know what the fuck I believe in. I'm here with you to figure this out through reading all these texts. But um, why do you think that, like, people get upset about the idea of abolishing the family? Like, what do you think they're, like, they're, they're not, like, kind of, like, understanding why they get so upset about that? I mean... 
you're asking the wrong person, really. But um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe some people just don't understand what it means. They're like, oh, I like my family. Why would you want to take that away from me? Yeah, you're going to take my mom. You're going to share my mom. Everyone's going to share my mom and dad. Is that what you, you know what I mean? Like, no. We're going to redistribute the moms so everyone <laughs> can have the moms. moms. The mom rats. No, but like, seriously, <laughs> like, because the family has been viewed by many proletarians as this only shelter from the world market and from mm -hmm. the, the ravages of it, right? You ask your grandma, your grandma asks you to pass her the peas and you're not like, that'll be 10 bucks, grandma. You know, it's exactly. this sacred space away from capitalist social relations. But what we want to do is enlarge that space to encompass all of society. So you, every adult is responsible at some level for every child. No child gets left behind for real this time. The real, the real, the good one. <laughs> this, but unironically, uh, and it's just, it's expanding the circle of love and care and that sense of responsibility to encompass all of society. Um, I, I also think that there are some people who are like, well, the working class, a lot of the working class has this religious morality uh, and mm -hmm. we can't go against that we just have to tail the reactionary the most reactionary opinions in the working class if we want to get anywhere as if the working class is inherently conservative yes right? and as if this kind of ideology itself is not the result of material conditions mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. yeah i don't know it's uh it's definitely a live discourse and it's one that i definitely want to talk about more because it's it's very old as you can see this is not just some radlib tumblr sjw shit that people just came up with this is a very old uh socialist demand and a very old socialist feminist demand yeah so and, and i think yeah yeah ahead, yeah Jamie. no 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 I was, I was gonna say i think coupled with that you know um like moving along it's like when he talks about education right uh, he says uh, quote, the communists have not invented the intervention of society in education. They do but seek to alter the character of that intervention and to rescue education from the influence of the ruling class. Because, I mean, this is how we get social production, right? This is like, mm -hmm. again, he was, as he was saying, this is like you going to not just school, but all the, I guess, the superstructure, right? All the cultural institutions that inform you, you know, on how to live like a life in this society, right? Like, I mean, all of that really is indoctrination and for social reproduction so you can continue to socially reproduce your class, mm -hmm. right? I mean, the communists want to seize education for, again, the masses, the public. Yeah, right? like, they're like, oh, you're just trying to indoctrinate the kids. We're like, yo, you're already indoctrinating the kids and you're teaching them to be cogs in a machine. So exactly. we're just trying to so educate people in a different way that makes yeah. them recognize their own humanity and those of others. He, he, he has a good own here. I'm going to read this, too. He says, mm. the bourgeois claptrap about the family and education, about the hallowed correlation of parents and child, becomes all the more disgusting, the more, by the action of modern industry, all the family ties among the proletarians are torn asunder, and their children transformed into simple articles of commerce and instruments of labor. And again, this is really the golden age of child labor that we're dealing with right here. But do you even think like now in some examples you could see it where because I think the United States is like uh, unique in a way where um, I don't know. Maybe this is a good example. The United States seems to be unique in a way where, I mean, retirement homes are like a booming business here. You know what I mean? And um, whereas in other cultures, like oftentimes it's up to not due to any commodification or any like, you know, um, any relation that's based on like capitalism. It's like the family is there to take care of elders, you know, but like here it seems like things have been inverted and twisted where it's not just about like, um, you know, um, uh, 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 shipping off your grandmother or your mom, your elderly mom to a retirement home. But it's also children themselves are used to like help support families, yeah. which is like fucked up for anyone who's had to work since they were like fucking like 16 or something yeah. like that. You know what I mean? To support a family. That's Absolutely. Up, and even if you're not literally sending kids to work, the purpose of education under capitalism is not to enrich people as human beings, right? It's to train them to be good little workers or, you know, depending exactly. what class you come from, good managers of society. Or if you come from the haute bourgeoisie, a good uh, piece of shit capitalist who just like sits yeah. on your ass while the workers <laughs> do all the work. So yeah, I really like that part. That's a good own. Oh, and then he gets into women. 
This is pretty good. Oh, yeah. He gets, in, he gets into women. He here. says, It made him really mad about But this. you communists would introduce community of women, screams the bourgeoisie in chorus. And when he says community of women, he means like, Oh, you're just going to fuck all the women. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna yeah, take, yeah, what yeah, about yeah. monogamy? You're going to be a concubine or all something? You, yeah. All you poly crazy crazy ass communists and he says basically he says the bourgeoisie is already uh fucking each other's wives <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah, they're, yeah. they're already they have all the the wives and daughters of proletarians at their disposal not to speak of common prostitutes and they're fucking each other's wives they take the greatest pleasure in seducing each other's wives um even if they aren't fucking uh whoever they want whatever women they want in the proletariat I'm adding this, and this is something that uh, social reproduction theory picks up. Where Sean, where I, just, I almost said Sean. That's weird. That's a weird thing to say. Where Marx, <laughs> where Marx says, yeah. leaves <laughs> off. <laughs> I do. <laughs> okay, Sean, no, I Sean is a Marx-like figure. You know, he's got some facial hair. He's he's yeah, work, yeah, he's got yeah. a lot of hair. He's just turning. He's just trying to turn into Marx. Um, it's a grizzly Marx. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they they pick up where Marx leaves off, which is to say, even if these capitalists are not uh, fucking all the women, they still benefit from their unwaged social reproductive labor, which is to say, all the work that they do outside of the traditional workplace to reproduce the working class from day to day and from generation to generation. And I mean, I think that's like, I mean, I think that's also, um, you know, it like Marx is not necessarily calling for a return to like, you know, primitive like communism, you know, um, it is a definitely like, you know, a return to collectivism, but at a higher stage of development, you know, given industrial capacity that of like, you know, capitalist industry. But I do like that, um, you know, when you look at indigenous cultures, I'm just speaking not what's in the text, but just from um, personal knowledge, like when you look at indigenous cultures, um, in the past, they were matriarchal, you know. Mm -hmm. So, like, these were societies that were already centered around, like, women. And, um, again, I like this kind of cyclical kind of return, right, to a state of affairs in which women were not commodities, you know. Women were not, like, you know, uh, uh, it's not a social status, right? It's not, as he says, bourgeois marriage is in reality a system of wives in common. You know, it's actually, like, kind of hearkening back again to something that is not exploitative, right, and that is liberatory and emancipatory, mm -hmm. you know. That's right. So he says, um, blah, 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 blah. It says, bourgeois marriage is, in reality, a system of wives in common, like, like he just went over. And thus, at the most, what the communists might possibly be reproached with is that they desire to introduce, in substitution for a hypocritically concealed and openly mm. legalized community of women. For the rest, it is self-evident that the abolition of the present system of production must bring with it the abolition of the community of women springing from that system, i.e. of prostitution, both public and private. Which is to say, um, whether you are officially a prostitute or not, if you are a woman in a system where uh, you serve this social reproductive role in capitalism, where you're dependent on a man for money, for you know the conditions of life, um, mm. you are, it is a kind of prostitution. And he's yeah. like, yeah. he's not yeah. saying that, uh, I don't think it's that he's being like whorephobic or whatever. I don't think he's no. saying that no. sex work is bad. I think he's saying that all work is bad. Whether that yeah. is uh, the work that a prostitute does under formal business relationship or the work that a wife does, um, having to cook and clean for a man so that a capitalist can continue making money. How about we exactly. just have relationships with who we want to fuck because we like to? How about that? Exactly. Sounds way more feminist exactly. to me. Yeah. And I love that he uses, you know... Um, you know, he used the term, um, and, and you, you stress this, in substitution for hypocritically concealed, because that's what capitalism is best at, right? It's mystifying and obfuscating all of these, like, you know, social relations, relations between people instead of relations between things, mm -hmm. right? And especially, I think, if you're looking at this idea of a community of women, like, yeah, I can, I think, like, uh, that is something that will always track true, like, whether it was written in 1848 or today, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it grows this ideological superstructure to try to conceal our labor from us. So to say, yes. oh, women aren't doing this to serve a function within capitalism. They're doing it because that's just their natural role. 
their mothers, their yeah. caregivers, and like exactly no exactly like okay, all humans first of all could be caregivers. Let's be real yeah. about that. Men, Hell women, yeah. non-binary people, everybody yeah. can have that within them, and it is yeah. in itself unnatural. I think to force only only women into that role. Yeah, it's wild how like gap. I mean, I'm sure too. If we get to like, I mean, we will get the books that focus on like you know, um, like ideology and like kind of like the the, the cultivation of like cultural hegemony. Gramsci said, right? But it's like it is really like wild how um, you know, like we are so the, the system is so very good at like mystifying like obvious truths and naturalizing. That's the word I wanted to use. It makes these like relations seem natural. You know, like this is like natural law. It's like almost like deserve it. I mean, social Darwinism is a term that wasn't used until much later, but it really does like naturalize these things in a way that makes it seem like, well, I guess I have there is no alternative, mm-hmm. you know, to this. I guess this is just reality as it is and it'll always be like this. Mm-hmm. But um, no, it's obviously not the case. Mm-mm. And that's a lot of what Marx does is to kind of denaturalize and remove these layers of mystification over what's actually happening in the world. So he goes on a bit to talk about countries and nationality. He says, the communists are further reproached with desiring to abolish countries and nationality. And he goes hard here. He says, "The the working men have no country. We cannot take from them what they have not, what they have not got. Since the proletariat must first of all acquire political supremacy, must rise to be the leading class of the nation, must constitute itself the nation, it is so far itself national, though not in the bourgeois sense of the word. So what does that mean? Mm -hmm. The proletariat has no country because they do not have political control over any country where they live. They are, in a sense, an oppressed nation, but not in the bourgeois sense, not like Oh, the the American proletariat is a repressed nation. No, the global proletariat is an a, is a repressed nation, and the only way to fix that is to take power over. I guess first through each of their individual nations, and then through mm-hmm. the entire world through a one world government, and ultimately abolish yeah. <laughs> class. And then he says more about one the, big union. Yeah, yeah. And then he says more about the working class as a nation. Um, Basically also says that capitalism has already uh, kind of weakened the nation state in the sense that it's um, it's fully global, it's fully globalized. Yeah, exactly. Even even in Marx's time, it was becoming that way. Yeah, yeah. it's the uh, it's the I mean, as the board put it in society, the spectacle, which Sean mentioned earlier, it's the uh, the board calls it um, the sun that never sets over the empire. Right. Like, you know, it's it's all encompassing. Like, I always like to think about it like. I mean, people have seen this like uh, visual metaphor before, but like a an octopus with its tentacles sort of wrapped around the world, right? Mm-hmm. But, like it's everywhere at once. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the bourgeoisie Good. is fully globalized, and they're trying to trick the workers of different nation states into thinking that, oh yeah, we're American workers' interests are different than Chinese workers or whatever. But that's not true. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh yeah i mean like you kind of kind of with the continuation of kind of like refuting all these criticisms like um i think uh the last one i think he does is he talks about um um like ideas and religion yeah you know and um i really like this part he says um the charges against communism made from a religious, a philosophical, and generally from an ideological standpoint are not deserving of serious examination. <laughs> Yo, I just love it. He's just like, I'm not even going to address you. I'm not going to deign, you know, myself by like engaging in your idiocy. Yeah. Like, I'm not like, even you made that it. shit up. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you made that shit up. That shit's not real, motherfucker. And this is, I mean, um, it's not surprising that a lot of fascist ideology, which could be seen as the opposite of communism, and mm-hmm. in fact arose mm-hmm. historically as a reaction to the communist movement, exactly. um, it's just like a bunch of shit they made up. <laughs> like, think about all, think <laughs> yeah, about all the Jordan Peterson stuff, all these myths yeah. that he thinks yeah, yeah, should yeah, run yeah, the world. Yeah. Like, no. And it also apes, too. I mean, like, the ones that are unfortunately more proficient at their, like, uh, fascism, they it apes the language of socialism, you know? Mm-hmm. It apes the language of emancipatory politics, yeah. you know, yeah. um, with obviously no intention of following through. Not good. So, so okay, so shit is bad. Mm-hmm. 
we know the kind of world we need where the proletariat's mm-hmm. in charge. How do we do that? Through a little thing called dick prol, which is a cool short way to say the dictatorship of the proletariat. Hell yeah, that's right. So he says, the proletariat will use its political supremacy to wrest, by degree, all capital from the bourgeoisie to centralize all instruments of production in the hands of the state, i.e. of the proletariat organized as the ruling class, and to increase the total productive forces as rapidly as possible. Which, as Sean said, led directly to Stalinism, which, you know, has its pros and cons, but um, we'll deal with that later. yeah, well, there was a whole discourse online for the past two days about whether Stalin was a good or a bad guy, which there's a great way to like, you know, like uh, learn history and, uh, and judge history by asking if an individual is good or bad. Yeah, that's perfect. yeah no, that's very, uh, <laughs> very materialist of you. Um, very dialectic. Of yeah, you. yeah. <laughs> so so he says, you know, what is what is this dick prol? I'll tell you, here's a bullet pointed list. And it's got Ten it's point got point. some good stuff on in it, I got to say. Mm-hmm. Should we read the list? Yeah, you want to? I'll read the first five, and you read the next five, and we talk All about. All right, excellent. All right. So the first one is um, uh, abolition of property and land, and application of all rents of land to public purposes. I think that we, I mean, talking about the abolition of private property, I think we've went over that and why that's necessary for any um, political or uh, economic uh, democracy. Um, two, a heavy progressive or graduated income tax. Um, three, I like a lot. I mean, I like all of these, but uh, abolition of all right of inheritance. Boom. Yeah, yeah. That's very important because, um, I mean, wealth is generational. We know that. So is poverty. But this is the way that these motherfuckers are able to keep socially reproducing more parasitic ghouls. Yep. Right? And I'm just going to say it. I got some inheritance coming to me. Um, the only reason why I am like, all right, that's great is because we still live in capitalism. But if we were able to transition out of capitalism, abolishing all rights of inheritance in the process, that would be much better. Uh, Well, Jamie, you know, I will admit to, I'll admit to you that, uh, my, uh, I have my family, we have two houses down here that we've bought and rented out. So one of them, when my dad died is in my name. So I always kind of fuck with my mom and joke with her. I'm not joking. I'm very serious. which scares her. But I'm like, yeah, man, like when you die, like I'm not going to be a landlord. I'm probably just going to sell that house or turn it into a commune. She's like, yeah, you're not joking. You're probably right, which I am. So, no, yeah, same, right. same. We're on the same level. Like I think we should We're use our inheritance to make communes. And um, But, you know, you can't just make communism by going off by yourself, right? Like we got to no, figure out no. a way to use this land and this property to kind of build the movement. And I think we're up to the exactly. task. I think so. Um, So this part, actually, I'm not really sure what this part means. The fourth one is confiscation of the property of all immigrants and rebels. Immigrants with an E. What is is this? this, I'm going to say that is the capitalist class that tries to flee. Uh, oh, the, okay. the, the, you know, the gusanos that flee the revolution. The gusanos, exactly. They're like, no, we're going to take your shit. No, we're going to take your shit and then kick you out. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, I don't um, care what happens to them after we take their shit, but they definitely can't be allowed to keep it. No, they can't keep it. No, no. Um, and the fifth one, uh, last one I'll read, is centralization of credit in the hands of the state by means of a national bank with state capital and an exclusive monopoly. Postal banking, baby. Yeah, yeah. That Postal is the thing that DSA is working on right now. The post office used to do banking. Mm-hmm. Used to. And it will again. It will again. So, okay, six. Centralization of the means of communication and transport in the hands of the state. That's good. We need, we could use a communist internet. We could use a communist, uh, ride, ride, fuck ride share. We could use a communist, uh, (laughs) communist zip car, you know? We could use, uh, public transit that's super good. How about that? And these are also, I just want to add, these are important, like communication and transport are important um, um, ways in which the capitalist class disseminates not just like, you know, commodities, but like ideas, right? Like ruling class ideology. So if we uh, attack those nodes of communication, uh, transportation, and, you know, which is, you know. Oh, 
You done? Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you cut yeah, out for yeah, a second. Yeah. And you could. Yeah, I did. I didn't know. I just stopped. I just dropped and stopped okay. talking. Yeah. So, uh, and you can see that um, in these debates about like, oh, freedom of the press. This is so important. This is the most important thing. Like, hey, actually, the most important thing is everybody having control over their lives and having enough to eat. And if we ever manage to do the thing and create some sort of transitional worker state. Uh, which is more important, would you say? Letting whatever remains of the bourgeois press spread a bunch of lies and propaganda about our new government designed to undermine it and bring back exploitation? Or mm -hmm. uh, not doing that, you know? Like, I yeah. think it, the, the, the needs of the people wins out over this abstract freedom of the press that could be used uh, against us. Yeah. I want to be before you continue, and I know we haven't watched this film yet. We're still going to watch it, Born in Flames. But uh, and spoiler alert, I guess. But you know, you should still watch it anyway. At the end of the movie, um, they uh, this, this woman's army, this uh, 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 socialist, true socialist, not nominally so, as this alternative United States is. But they uh, blow up um, this antenna at the top of the World Trade Center um, because they understand. That um, seizing, I guess, seizing like the, the the channels of communication, you know, the, the cognitive map, I guess, right? Like that's the way that they can like seize power, nice. you know, and sway it to the proletariat. So check that film out, and also, yes, that's hell uh, yeah. That's a, yeah, got to yeah, take yeah. it over. We should do a screening on YouTube. Yes, we should, yo. And I think we can get it for free, show it for free too. I don't think there's any copyright trademark issues with it. I hope not. Yeah, let's definitely do that. Yeah. Okay, seven mm. extension of factories and instruments of production owned by the state. The bringing into cultivation of wastelands and the improvement of the soil generally in accordance with a common plan. Right. So we're going to have some kind of central management, central planning, shall we say, mm -hmm. to make sure all the land is being taken care of and used wisely. Um, yes. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. We want to avoid, I guess, the tragedy of the commons, if I'm using that right. Uh, you know, you don't want. I mean, that's the. I mean, Europe. That was a problem in Europe, right? Like the land had been like it was non-arid, like uh, or non-arable for like centuries because it had been overused. Well, right? the tragedy of the commons, um, I think, is actually a bourgeois talking point used against mm. the impulse to communize everything because they're like oh look at what happens it's just a fucking free-for-all and everybody yeah. gets to use these common lands it, like it goes to shit and uh, apparently that's not true oh so, okay okay yeah uh but we can talk more about that too in another episode where we go over mm -hmm. uh bourgeois arguments against communism so what else we got? We got eight equal liability of all to work establishment of industrial armies, especially for agriculture. Um, so, yeah, everyone has to contribute. I, I think also in communism, if you can't work, you should be taken care of. And that is something yes. that uh, a lot of disabled activists have brought into the discourse. Mm -hmm. Um, also, these industrial armies, right, we're writing at a time when it still took a lot of work to feed everybody. And a lot of people were employed in agriculture uh, or, or just even peasants doing subsistence farming. That is not the case anymore. Um, a yeah. teeny tiny fraction of the population works in agriculture and that creates enough food to feed everybody. So maybe we don't need industrial armies for agriculture because as the great philosopher Grimes once said, enforced farming is not a vibe. That's <laughs> not a vibe at all, man. I mean, you just use the machines that we've been developing for uh, for decades now to just, uh, you know, maybe people don't. If you want to farm, sure, farm. But we can utilize, like, you know, technology to make sure that people don't have to do uh, the kinds of work that, you know, I don't know. That's right. Uh, feed, a, feed a population. That's here. right. Uh, nine, combination of agriculture with manufacturing industries, which we have also seen happen already. Gradual abolition of the distinction between town and country by a more equitable distribution of the populace over the country. Interesting. I like I like that actually. Like that. Uh, I, I've read it again. I've read this before, but it was years ago. But that that part when reading reading, I for, totally for, forgot um, the gradual abolition of the distinction between town and country. Why do you think that's so important? Hmm. I mean, sources differ on whether this is a good idea. Because uh -huh. it's probably more efficient to have everybody live in a city. And if, if mm. we want everyone to be participating 
in the day-to-day governing and the political life of a place and we want it to happen on the local level i think it makes more sense to kind of centralize populations in cities and also it's more efficient that way environmentally having a bunch of people living in an apartment building versus everyone has a house and it's all spread out and shit but i've heard i've heard you know good there's pros and cons to that so maybe to be continued yeah, yeah. I was thinking of alienation and sort of like thinking about how suburbs, the rise of suburbs in the 60s and the 70s, you know, after World War Two, that whole kind of project of like, you know, um, um, oh, yeah, I guess housing and yeah, and development. Like I'm thinking how that alienated people and alienates people the same way I guess cars do. See, if if the now the updated version of this, uh, I think we could say abolition of all private vehicles. That, that would oh, be, I would yeah, that nobody would needs a private vehicle. <laughs> nobody needs a fucking no. car. It's, I know this, having gotten two car accidents in no, the past like, six months. No one needs a fucking and, car. And there are places, at least in the beginning, that will still not be accessible by public transit. Maybe you need a car from time to time. It could be like mm. Zipcar, but it's free. You know, you just check, yeah, like, exactly. check it out of the library and bring it back when you're done. That's totally fine. Exactly. Nobody needs their own vehicle. Exactly. Exactly. What else we got? We got 10 free education for all children in public schools, abolition of children's factory labor in its present form, combination of education with industrial production. Now, this is interesting. What do we think Hmm. about this? Because we are very inculcated against child labor nowadays. Mm. (laughs) Like Mm. we think that it is not good that people uh, would be sending having to send their kids to work in the factories like childhood you're supposed to be playing you're supposed to be developing but what if everybody got a combination of things in their education because right now um the working class kids are mainly educated to turn them into good little workers cogs in the machine Mm -hmm. they go to vocational school whereas the children of the ruling class are primarily educated in oh like art and literature and you know eventually maybe you go to grad school and you learn Mm -hmm. whatever skill you need as a manager of capitalism but what if everybody learned a little bit of everything wouldn't that be better like a trade yeah, yeah, I really do think that, like, that's why, yo, school is not for, first of all, school is not for everybody, like, academia in terms of, like, you know, whether it's liberal arts or whatever, whatever you decide to study, but, like, trades, like, I think, like, everybody should have the opportunity to just, like, hey, you want to be an electrician, you want to be a plumber, you want to do this, you want to work with your hands, like, that's something that, like, especially in this country, we sorely need that, so, like, yeah, man, like, I don't know, like, put people to, not to, I will say that that work of an electrician or plumber feels a lot more um, important, you know what I mean, Um, and impactful than some motherfucker who's, like, reading from a law book, you know what I mean, who's studying law. Well, yeah, I mean, mean, obviously we're going to abolish uh, bourgeois law. Yeah, bourgeois, yeah. but That's that's not going to be a thing. But I do think there is something to be said for a combination of vocational training and the more uh, kind of less useful things like the stuff that i studied in college the stuff that i studied too reading and novels and like they um they had a program in cuba after the revolution where people would read literature to you while you were rolling cigars they'd read literature to the workers i think that's pretty dope that's pretty fucking tight man yeah that's so maybe we could have something like that. that Yeah, but that. instead of cigars, I mean, no, I'm I'm not going to come after nicotine. This is not going to be a popular. Uh, we, we, it'll be communal blunt a rollers. That's policy. Be. Yeah, yeah. Because weed will be legal everywhere. Oh, us. certainly, certainly. I mean, I myself am addicted to nicotine, but I do think it's bad and that we shouldn't have it. I know. Me too, man. So oh, yeah, we'll figure that out. Don't worry. But yeah, co- some kind of combination of you know becoming a well-rounded person instead of mm-hmm. now where it's like okay, one class gets to learn about literature and the other class gets to learn to make widgets. Like everyone's gonna, yeah. everyone's gonna do a little bit of everything so everyone can be exactly. well-rounded. Exactly. Exactly. So what else we got uh, here? I think uh, maybe let's just read the end, shall we say? Yeah. He talks about abolishing classes. Oh, God. See, this is the whole thing is so good. I just want to read the whole thing. But this thing's going to be three hours long. I know, dude. Is this you talking about the last section of uh, uh, this chapter right here? Chapter two? Yeah, it's very short. Yeah. I don't don't know. Let's just do it. (laughs) You know what? We're um, figuring it out as we go. We're figuring it out as we go along. Um, That's a good place to end probably too. Uh, Okay. Quote. 
Uh, you want me to read it? Sure. All right. All right. Uh, or some of it, at least. Uh, quote in... You can skip ahead to the, the end, course... too, if you feel like it's too long. Well, let's see. When in the course of development, class distinctions have disappeared and all production has been concentrated in the hands of a vast association of the whole nation, the public power will lose its political character. Political power, I like this part. I highlighted this, actually. Political power, properly so-called, is merely the organized power of one class for oppressing another. Boom. Um, yes. This, that's right. Yes. What we have, we're talking about, ooh, dictatorship of the proletariat. You're imposing a yes. dictatorship. Bitch, what we have right now is a dictatorship <laughs> of the bourgeoisie over the exactly. proletariat. All right? Exactly. Like, we didn't exactly. come we up with that. We need the dialectic. That. No, the dialectic is what will get us out, <laughs> right? We didn't fucking come up that they did, and um, I will read this part because I think this is a uh, this, this kind of like the way he explains that it's it's, uh, it's not succinct, but it's it's helpful. He says, if the proletariat during its contest with the bourgeoisie is compelled by the force of circumstances to organize itself as a class, if by means of a revolution it makes itself the ruling class again, a dictatorship of the proletariat, and as such sweeps away by force the old conditions of production, then it will along with these conditions, have swept away the conditions for the existence of class antagonisms and of classes generally, and will thereby have abolished its own supremacy as a class. Let's break that down. What does that mean? So basically, a, the dictatorship of the proletariat is not meant to be permanent. It is meant to be yeah. a temporary emergency measure in order to start the process, well, I guess the process has already started, but, you know, to, to continue the process whereby class itself is abolished. And when class itself is abolished, I've heard it described like, you know, putting a cast on a broken bone. When that bone is healed, when class is abolished, when social relations are transformed, when everybody is just a person in society, yeah. fully realized well-rounded knows how to you know read books and also roll cigars um that's bluff, that's yeah. when this um this dictatorship or this state will wither away because wither it's away. no longer needed and therefore um it will have quote swept away the conditions for the existence of class antagonisms and of classes generally and will thereby have abolished its own supremacy so no more classes right so all these vulgar workerists who are like you know, we need we need a dictatorship of the proletariat that lasts forever via a worker state and everyone's going to be a worker and the workers are going to be in charge and working really hard forever. That's not communism. Like that could be a dude, step on the work. way to communism. But like, fuck, work sucks, man. Yeah, work sucks, dude. I don't want to fucking work, man. This is why I'm dead podcast because <laughs> it doesn't fucking feel like work. Exactly. Uh, I wanted to add before we go too, to like to clarify that is like like um, you were talking about the bourgeoisie um, being a, a revolutionary class, um, but like how can I put it like the, the proletariat we don't recognize ourselves as a class as of yet we don't recognize ourselves as a class with common interests and goals right um, the bourgeoisie do this is why they're able to like form like Voltron right like to beat back any attempts of unionizing to any attempts of increasing class consciousness we don't recognize ourselves as a class and until we do recognize ourselves as a class we can wrest political power away from the bourgeoisie um, I mean we're going to keep being under their heel right but the idea is that as you say jamie it's not a permanent class right it's not a permanent class of workers the idea or even the state the idea is that the state hopefully not hopefully would have to right to be true to what communism socialism really is not nominally so like the ussr was um i mean we would have to like you know rest away that power and recognize ourselves as a class in order to abolish class if that makes sense i think it does let me read the last yeah. line because it's really good in place of the old bourgeois society, and by the way, throughout this, I think bourgeois could be used as a synonym for capitalist, uh, yeah. with its classes and class antagonisms, we shall have an association in which the free development of each is the condition for the free development of all. Boom. Yes. Li Boom. Like and liberal ideals, but we're actually going to deliver on them. Like everybody exactly. gets to be a fully realized human being. Yes. Yes. And I mean, I think it's funny. Um, I, I mind you, this first time I read this was years ago and I put in, in the margins that the right after that last paragraph, I put um, in the USSR was the proletariat really the ruling class, i.e. the state. And I, I find it funny that then even then I was like, uh, yeah. God, the USSR. 
just saw the Soviet Union. I was like, I don't know, man. So, you know. Yeah, I, I um, think it became a dictatorship of the party over the proletariat. Yes. That's my hot yeah. take. For sure. I, you man, I mean, if anyone wants to have a hot... I mean, I guess there are tankies. I guess those people exist, mm. but... Whatever. Well, through through the course of this podcast, uh, maybe we'll flesh some, some things out for people, and people can uh, make up their own minds about uh, what they decide to believe exactly. in. Exactly. You know, Stalinism is no. We good. report. <laughs> you decide. Exactly. You, we, that should be the tagline. <laughs> we report. You decide. And you know, maybe we'll help ourselves decide a little bit in the in the process. Exactly. I'm hoping that's what we're exactly. gonna do. So yeah. I think that is a good place to end this Leave it. but like there's three and yeah. four there's some good stuff at three and four should we do um some should we um, do like another a third part where we talk about three and four yeah we could do a third part we talk about three and four because i think uh, we were saying that not all of these and three and four he basically talks about um these other uh, socialist or communist trends uh, at the time and not all of them like feudal socialism um you know, that one isn't necessarily relevant um, or German and true socialism, maybe. But he talks about petty bourgeois socialism in which the uh, the petty bourgeois, this is like, I guess, the lower strata of the middle class where um, they, you know, want to have like, I mean, uh, they want to reclaim like the old systems of power. Right. That were um, more akin to, I guess, feudalism. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but not really in service of the proletariat. And then utopian socialism seems uh, pretty interesting because I think you see that a lot like on the online left and also with people who are just coming into leftism, you know, I think that's like a trend that we see a lot and they don't even necessarily know it. It's not, it's not all bad. It's just not a, it's just not really a, a the way that we want to go. You know? I, I will ride a little bit for the utopian socialists, but um, mm. perhaps we can make this go into the third part now and we can see, you know, if anybody listens to it, well, no, hey, it's okay to really go long on these things. If nobody listens to it, we'll be like, all right, you know what? Maybe all next right. time we could be a little more concise. We trim it down a little bit, yeah, yeah. But yeah. maybe people are like, maybe they're ready. Maybe they're like, yeah, give me more. Give me more. We need to know. Okay. Um, yeah, so this has been part two mm -hmm. of the Communist Manifesto. I'm going to take a quick pee break, and then we'll be back mm -hmm. with part three. Part three. Actually, I'm going to pee too. All right.